as you find your seats, if you'll prop open your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, today our study together, our journey together takes us to Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 7, if you don't have God's word with you today, it'll be on the screen, but let's be mindful as these words are read, these words are true, these words will point us to life in Christ. Um, they'll never lead us astray. God's holy and errant word. What a privilege it is to put ourselves under the authority of God's word. So let us hear what God has for us today, inspired through the Apostle Paul's pen. It says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, it's a word we get, it's a Greek word here, pornonia, pornography, uh, sexually moral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes. It's, it's, it's here, it's, it's in the present tense. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, it's a challenge that we've heard before if we have been in church. A challenge to purity. And Father God, I know one thing for clear and for certain is that, God, we don't need to hear a moralistic sermon on do's and don'ts. But Father, we need to hear of how the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has, has made us new and has made us for something so much more and so much greater than what the world has to offer us in the form of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. Father, You know how I feel today approaching this message. You know the fear in my heart. You know my brokenness and incompleteness. And Father, I know for sure that You're going to have to come and speak with power and clarity through a broken vessel who desperately needs this message that He's about to preach. So God, would You do that which only You can do? Would You come with such power that we hear the words of Jesus? Would You open up our ears to, to hear those sandaled feet of our Messiah? Holy Spirit, would You shine brightly into our dark minds Your Word? And so God, that we would be inspired, that we would respond in a way that 
is worthy of the Gospel. Father, would You please come and would You lovingly wrap Your hands around our our stony hearts of unbelief or, or of sin and would You squeeze hard enough that You would break them again today so that we may have the hearts of faith. So that we may love You more deeply and more clearly and that our lives would reflect that. And and God, would You come in such power that, that we would walk in newness of life that You have called us to. That we would be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. God, would You come with conviction that, that we may repent. That we may repent of our sinfulness. Knowing that it's safe to do that because You're a loving God who loves to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Father, would You come with such power? Would You feed us through Your Word? Would You feed us through Your table? So that, so that we would be more like Your Son. And Father, the things that are said that are wrong, or that are merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. May You and You alone receive glory. May we receive great joy and great challenge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, in our discussion, in our our, uh, trek through Ephesians, we looked to Paul as Paul told us and called us that we are to be imitators of God. We are to be imitators of Christ as dearly loved children. We have such good news that we are dearly loved children in Christ Jesus. And that should now motivate us to imitate our great God, to be like our great God. And in that passage last week, we learned that Christ gave Himself up for us. That He willingly joyfully endured the cross, gave Himself up for us, showed us a sacrifice in which we are now to live our lives as a sacrifice. And if last week was a call to us to be imitators of God, last week was a call to be living our lives in such self-sacrificing ways. Why? Because God is ridiculously in love with us. Why? Because God has called us into relationship with us through His Son. And now we have the privilege of having these self-sacrificing lives. And immediately He turns the corner kind of abruptly today. Kind of quickly. And He tells us that we are to avoid all sexual immorality. All impurity. All covetousness. It shouldn't be anywhere in us. And He basically goes from this. From self-sacrificing love to self-indulging lust. From a love that is God's, an ordained love the way God loves us, to a love that the world offers that is nothing other than dribble. Nothing that can truly satisfy us. Paul calls us today to a self-sacrificing love. Not sexual immorality. Hey, on the surface, this is one of the easiest texts a preacher can preach. I mean, really, this is a pretty quite clear message. Let's, let's, let's just spend a few minutes looking at this message. I mean, it's amazingly clear. Paul says, avoid all types of sexual immorality. He's going to be very clear the way he says sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And this is those, that, that triad, those three things. He's basically covering the scope. The first word, pornonia, avoid all sexual immorality. Impurity, any, any kind of sexual uh, activity that God can't bless anything. And then he says covetousness, which is an interesting uh, part to be added into that 
that first two thoughts of sexual immorality and immorality, really it's this. It's coveting someone else sexually for your own gain. It's that, it's that sexual drive that is for self and not for honoring of God. It is anything that we covet, our neighbor's wife, anything that we long for, a part that God has given us to be a blessing. So there should not even be a hint, Paul says. It shouldn't even be named among you. I mean, here's how amazingly uh, Christ-like God wants this church to act. He said that sexual immorality, impurity, and that that covetous greed, longing for another so we can be self-satisfied, it shouldn't even be on our lips. It shouldn't even be named among us. Because he says we're saints of the living God. We've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. It is not proper. It is not proper for God's people to be engaged in this kind of activity. It's not improper for God's people uh, to even have it on their lips. There's no place for it, Paul says. It's not fitting. It just doesn't fit who we are in Christ. Now, it fits perfectly who we are as sinful people. It fits and feels very comfortable. But I love the picture that God gives to us. It's not proper. It doesn't fit. Why? Because we're His. Because we are the beautiful, spotless bride of Christ that He has washed and purchased with His own blood. We are His. We are to be the aroma of Christ. We are to be His imitators. It just isn't proper for us to have anything of like sexual immorality in our lives. But we live in a time, don't we, where sexual immorality is rampant. I mean, it's celebrated. It sells. It sells. I mean, it sells, and it sells very well. I mean, flip the channels. Try to find a a program that is not going to be celebrating, celebrating in your face sexual immorality. Hardly can click on the Internet without being bombarded with sexual immorality, impurity. And we may say, okay, Paul, you lived a long time ago. You were writing to those folks in Ephesus. Could they really have any idea what it was like for us? And I want to tell you, in Ephesus, it was probably worse. By God's grace, I've had the privilege of being in Ephesus. It's an amazing city. And when you walk the streets of Ephesus, you'll notice a sign Literally, their signs were in the cement, uh, in the roads. The sign for the prostitute's house when you got to town. It would show you how you had to go uh, to find the prostitutes. Uh, Not only that, when I was there, they they were unearthing some incredible mosaics in the houses of Ephesus. And as they unearthed these, these unbelievable murals, they found, they found pornania, they found sexual immorality, they, they found a sex-crazed culture. I mean, their god was Diana. Uh, Diana, this idol they made, a multi-breast woman. Uh, that was the one that they worshipped, so much so that when Paul and Christianity was being pre- uh, preached in Ephesus, a riot broke out. These folks lived in a day and time that was incredibly sexually provocative. Uh, Here's a quote out of Ephesus, the time of Paul's writing. It says this, Here in Ephesus, we have our whores for our pleasure, harlots for our daily use, and wives for the procreation of legitimate children, and for the faithful perseverance of our property. 
Can you imagine that? I mean, look at how denigrating that is to women. I mean, amazing. Basically, flippantly say, we have women at our disposal for our daily use, for our daily pleasure, and then we have the respectability of a missus at home to raise us legitimate children and pass down you know, our, our property to our children. Wow. I imagine that that doesn't describe any of your lives, God forbid. No, our sins are much more secret than that. The ones we turn to uh, probably don't have a clear sign on the door that says the harlot of Ephesus or the harlot of Maitland. Ours are much easier to hide. But we live in the same time. We live in the same time where this is an amazing plague on the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this a little bit differently. Because Paul writes in the midst of that context, and here's what he says about those who are sexually immortal. Immoral. Immortal. I, I asked the elders to pray for me before the service. I said, you guys got to pray for me. I'm really nervous about this service. And I'm going to be t- uh, preaching on sexual morality. And they're like, immorality or morality? So, Lord Jesus, help me today. I'm telling you. But listen to what Paul says in verses 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this. Okay, that everyone who was, it was sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. By the way, any sin is idolatry. Ultimately, we're worshiping something beyond and above God. That anyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words because they lived in a time where people will say it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's not a really big sin anymore. It's okay for you to engage in this. It is okay. And Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. As I mentioned earlier, this is in the present tense. God is saying His wrath today burns Right now, on the sexual, immoral, impure, it comes on the sons of disobedience. Wow. It's a nice, easy text to preach, isn't it? Here's the point. Sexually impure people don't inherit, according to God's Word, the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let me say it again a little bit more clearly. Sexually impure people, they go to hell. Any questions? I mean, that's what it's saying, isn't it? God, he did something marvelous in my heart as I studied this, and I can't wait to get to it. Because he said, Jeff, you can't preach moralism today. You can't do it. And you got to preach something more than just avoid sexual immorality. Because, listen, here's, here's the bottom line. If, if God's word just says, avoid sexual morality so you won't go to hell, most of you are too good of theologians. Most of you have been Christians for too long. You'll say, no, wait a minute. I can, I, I can, I'm okay because the blood of the Lamb has washed me clean. It's okay because I can ask for forgiveness. It's okay that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. It's okay that Jesus died for that sin. It's okay that I'm really not going to go to, to hell because I have Christ in my life. And listen, if you have Jesus Christ in your life, that is true. You will not go to hell. 
He will never change his mind about you. He will never let you go. But if you are living your life with sexual immorality as a part of your life, without remorse, without repentance, if it's continual, ask yourself, am I really his? So if the message is today, avoid sexual immorality so you won't go to hell, I don't think that that's enough. Or we could say, listen, avoid sexual immorality and impurity because really it's like playing with fire. As you play with it, you might get burned. You might lose your reputation. You might lose uh, your virginity. You you, you might lose your purity. You might lose your, your marriage. You might lose. If you do this, that will happen. And that's a lot of times the message we tell our kids. That listen, don't do this that, that God has created you to do in a pure way. Don't do this because you'll be playing with matches. You'll be playing with fire. You will be burned. And you know, I am dumb enough to play with matches because it's kind of fun. And if you tell me I might get burned, the other side of that is I, I might not. And I might really enjoy it. And I might really have a lot of fun. And my life might be a whole lot more rich playing with matches. I remember uh, my best friend and I decided to build a fort in his backyard. Um, We cleared out an area to build our fort. um, And we had one stump that was in the way that we had to burn out. And it wouldn't, we couldn't get it out. We tried with shovels. We tried, you know, we didn't, we couldn't, weren't strong enough to get that thing out of there. So we had the great idea that all kids love to have anyway is let's burn it out. Yeah, let's go get the fire. Yeah, burn it out. So we got the gas can and we doused it with gasoline. We threw a match on it. And, man, on fire. That's awesome. Yeah. And the fire, the, the gas quickly burned off and the stump stopped burning. We thought, what's wrong with this thing? Pour the gas directly on the fire. We did it. We did it. In God's providence, it was a plastic gas can. If that thing was metal, I probably wouldn't have much of a face right now. You see, a boy like me, a sinner like you, something alluring about fire. (laughs) And if the message in God's word is avoid sexual immorality because you might get burned, at the end of the day, you know what, I don't think that's enough. At the end of the day, I don't think it's enough that we can just preach that you're going to go to hell if you're sexually immoral. I don't think that's enough. And I, and I, I got to tell you, as I, as I read and as I studied for this, so many of the sermons I read and, and so many of the commentaries I read, basically at the end of the day, had a moral message that this is bad, don't do it. And it made me long for more because God has created us for more, a greater love. The gospel sets us free. And really, this whole passage hinges on one thought. This whole passage hinges hinges on this thought of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Look again at verse 4. As he's giving us an amazing list of don'ts, and he's telling us to not even have it on our our lips, and there's no place for it. It's not proper among us. Uh, But he says this, at the end, by the way, let there be no full, uh, filthiness. This is now talking about speech. I mean, we are supposed to be so pure that even our speech, not only our conduct, but in thought, word, and deed, God is calling us to purity. 
No filthiness, no foolish talk. And the word here is like moronic talk. No moronic talk. No crude joking. And this, this, this word is pretty interesting. It could have a good context. It's like a double entendre. Don't spin and turn words. It's basically saying this. That sexual immorality should be so out of our lives that our words should not be obscene. That our, our coarse joking is not proper. And I just thought, how many YouTube videos would go away if that were the case? Again, it shouldn't have any place with us, but instead, look at the end of verse 4, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. There's one meal a year that I really don't want to spoil. One of my favorite holidays outside of Christmas, my second favorite holiday, it's Thanksgiving. Are you kidding? The family comes together. Um, and by God's grace, I like that. <laughs> We're going to have a great meal. And one of my favorite meals, I'm telling you, I, I had it at, a, at our rehearsal dinner. They said, what dinner would you like? I said, I want a turkey dinner. I love turkey. I love, I love stuffing. I love gravy. I love everything about a turkey Thanksgiving meal. And that's the one meal I don't mind holding off for. It's the one meal I don't mind saying, you know what? I'm going to avoid the junk food. I'm going to avoid anything that I eat in the morning. Why? Because I don't want to spoil the most incredible dinner. You see, the big issue is this, is that God has created us in his image and recreated it in Christ to worship and to know and to love God. Our lives should be filled with praise and thanksgiving, not sexual immorality. Our lives should be filled with Jesus. Our lives should be filled with the reality of a God who comes and loves us and sets us free. That why does he say we're to avoid sexual immorality? Why does he say to avoid impurity? Why does he say we shouldn't covet and long for one another? Because all those things drive out Jesus. They drive out the gospel. Why does he say to us that our, we shouldn't have foolish talk? We shouldn't have obscene talk. That we shouldn't have this double entendre. Uh, double entendre. Why? Because we should be filled with Praise. Praise of what God has done. God has made us for a love feast. God has made us to seek pleasure. But God has made us to seek Him as our pleasure. Not a pixie stick of pornania. You guys remember pixie sticks? Anybody remember pixie sticks growing up? Come in a little plastic wrapper filled with sugar. We call a pixie stick. Open that bad boy up, pour it into your mouth, and I'm telling you, it tasted unbelievable. Great stuff. Was it good for you? I mean, it rots your teeth. It gives you a, a false high. I mean, eventually it's going to kill you, right? I mean, pixie sticks. What, what parent has their kids sit down and say, you know what, tonight's dinner is we're going to have pixie sticks. We got little ones and big ones. You know, they came out with the big plastic tubes of them. Remember those puppies? Yeah. I mean, the truth is, we would be better off eating the wrapper than eating what was inside. And so what does God say to us? He says, listen, the world offers you a pixie stick. It's a pixie stick that will kill you. 
It's not good for you. Because I love you, I'm going to tell the truth of you. Many of us think that God's a big cosmic killjoy, that some reason he's going to interfere with our personal life and what we do in the bedroom or what we do on the internet because he wants us to, to, to miss something. And that's not true. He's a loving heavenly father who's trying to tell us the world only offers pixie sticks that are so corrosive, it's going to just rot your soul. It's going to do worse than just your teeth. It's going to make you feel like it's fulfilling you, but it's just going to create bigger holes in you. And because I love you, I'll tell you the truth. Fill yourself with the good news of Christ. I have made you for pleasure. And your pleasure should be found first and foremost in me. You see, our sin and our circumstances drive us to find pleasure apart from God. I mean, it's how it all started, isn't it? That's how it started in the garden. Adam and Eve were trying to find their identity, their pleasure, their joy apart from God. And ever since that, you and I naturally, that's what we do, try to find our identity, our joy, and our pleasure apart from God. You see, for the Christian, sexual immorality is out of place because it drives us from a thankful heart. Think about that. How simple. Sexual immorality is so out of place because it drives us from a thankful heart. Sexual immorality is basically this. It's telling God, God, you haven't provided for me enough yet. I don't accept what you have given to me. I don't accept what you've given to me as a husband or a wife. Or I don't accept my singleness right now. God, you're not enough. God, you haven't satisfied me enough. God, you haven't fulfilled me enough. God, you don't love me enough. God, I'm going to turn from you and I'm going to go to some pixie dust and I'm going to try to find out some identity and some joy there. I mean, that really what sexual immorality is all about. It's basically saying, God, God, you're not enough. The good news of the gospel is not enough. A God who loves me enough to send a son to die for me is not enough. A Holy Spirit filling me is not enough. Your word is not enough. The promise of an inheritance of heaven and eternal life is not enough. I crave more. And I'm going to look for it apart from you. He says, listen, let let, let you have a thankful heart. May the gospel be so real in your life. May may, may what God has done for you fill you so much that it drives out sexual immorality. See, that's a whole different message. God is telling us to avoid it because He knows it will rot our bones and our soul. But He says, I want you to be filled with something so much more. My love, my identity, my joy, my thanksgiving. We were created to find our greatest pleasure in our praise. Isn't that amazing? We were created to find our greatest pleasure in praising Him. That's how we were created. We're created to find our identity in Him, our joy in Him. Listen, we were created for pleasure. The problem isn't pleasure. It's seeking the wrong thing for pleasure. We were created for pleasure. But we were created to find our, our pleasure in our praise of God. But because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, now we seek our own pleasure in ourselves. We become our own God. Our greatest earthly pursuit has become ourselves. Do you believe that? Our greatest earthly pursuit, apart from Christ, continually becomes ourself. 
I met with two of my, my dear brothers, uh, um, and every Friday right now I'm meeting with a couple of uh, African-American preachers, and we're going through Tim Keller's Prodigal God together. And as we met this week, I, I told them, I said, i got to tell you guys, you know, I'm just so weary of myself. I'm just so weary of, of just, I just can't get my eyes off of me. And I want you to know, it probably sounds spiritual because I'm so weary of my own sin. And I'm so weary of my own frailty. And I'm so weary of my own brokenness that I spend so much time looking around thinking, God, how come this isn't better? And how come that isn't better? And I'm just like, God, would you please take my eyes off myself and put them on the finished work of Christ? May the gospel set me free. May I truly be comfortable in my own skin because of what God has done. And no longer will I be looking in here saying, I'm not this and I'm not that. But I'll be saying, praise you, Lord Jesus, for what I am in Christ Jesus. And my life could be filled with praise to Him instead of self-loathing for me. We were created for praise. John Piper says in Discovering God that our chief end is to glorify God. Our main purpose, the reason God has created us is to glorify God while we are enjoying Him forever. God has created you for pleasure. For His pleasure. He has created you to find life and life abundantly in Him. And He doesn't want you to turn to a pixie stick of sexual immorality. He is the only one who could truly give us what our hearts desire. And this is the truth of the gospel. And we don't believe this, but I'm going to tell you again. The truth of the gospel is your greatest pleasure, your greatest joy is found in Jesus. Pursue Him and you will find yourself. Pursue Him and you will find the greatest joy, the greatest happiness. Pursue pixie sticks and you will be forever broken, ever longing for more. He wants you to feel, be filled with pleasure. The pleasure of God. The pleasure of His Son. The pleasure of His Word. C.S. Lewis says that it's not, our, it's not that our desires are too strong. Oh man, i got all these strong desires. I mean, I can't help it. I have all these strong desires. It's not that our desires are too strong, therefore we go to uh, pornography. It's not that our desires are too strong, but they're too weak. God offers us a banquet of His love and instead we drink and eat pixie sticks. Instead we turn our attention to what the world has to offer. Our thanksgiving to God should be the greatest defense against sin. Are you thankful? Listen to what I just said. It's amazing. It's what God showed me. Our thankfulness to God in Christ should be our greatest defense of sin. How could I do this? How could I sin against God? How could I do this, Joseph would ask with Bathsheba. How could I do this? Because God loves me so much. The work of His Son on my behalf. How could I, I am so thankful. The next time you're tempted with sexual immorality on the internet or, or, or with a particular person, ask, look at your heart, say, God, what am I not thankful for? Why am I here? Fill your heart with praise. Spend time with Him. Dwell on what He has done for you. A sinful heart seeks pleasure apart from praise. That's where we are. Seeking pleasure apart from praise. But I love this G.K. Chesterton quote. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel, or maybe for us, every man who clicks on a porn site is looking for God. That's what God has created us for intimacy. God has created us for love. God has created us for pleasure. Not for pixie dust and pixie sticks.
Let me ask you, can your activities be praiseworthy to God? You lay your life out before Him, He sees it anyway. Let Him investigate what is praiseworthy. What can He praise? And those things that you and I have that we cringe about, we say, oh Lord, I don't want you to look at that. Say, God, would you replace that with thanksgiving? Would you remind me of the truth of the gospel? Would you set me free? Lastly, gospel-soaked hearts are thankful hearts. A thought I want you to take and revolve in your mind. Take this week with you. Lustful hearts and grateful hearts are diametrically opposed. You can't have a lustful heart and a grateful heart at the same time. And some may say, well, how can I have a great, grateful heart at times like this? I've lost my job. My 401k is a 201k. You know, I have so many things going on in my life. And I think that that's, we got to be careful because right now we're in such difficult situations in our life. We're in such difficult situations in our economy where we are that we are so susceptible for pixie dust. We got to be very careful at a time like this that we are going to turn anywhere other than to the Lord Jesus Christ to say, fill me, fill me, fill me. Don't let me accept anything else. I like what David Evans said, the real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. The real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all of our money. What are you worth? I'm a child of the king. (laughs) I don't deserve it. It's all by God's grace. I've been loved by a God, an eternal God, and he said he loved me before he made the Rockies. That he loved me before he made the Pacific and the Atlantic. That he demonstrated a love for us that's so amazing and so divine that while I and you are still sinners, that Christ Jesus would come to rescue us. And unbelievably, Jesus would come and do all that which we failed to do, and he would... He would die a death that we deserved. And He would bleed so that we could be cleansed. And He would be broken so that, that we could be made whole. And He would wear our filth as a garment on the cross so that we could wear His righteousness as our robe. That God would not leave us as orphans when He took His Son to heaven at His right side, but He gave us the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a deposit guaranteeing more love. Guaranteeing that he has a future for us. How wealthy are we? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you have reason to be grateful and thankful for what God has done? Man. And I live my life oftentimes saying, God, it's not enough. I want a little bit more pixie stick that the world has to offer. This word, thanksgiving, is where we get the word Eucharist. It's the same word. Where we get the word Eucharist, being thankful. So the message, the application, the message is, let us be thankful and let us come to this table. Let us come to this table and receive God's love today. There's three things I'm going to ask you to do as you come to the table that really Scripture points us to do. The first one is this, repent. Repent. Examine yourselves. Examine your heart. Is there sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness? Is there obscene talk? Is there coarse joking? 
Examine your heart. Examine where it's not thankful. Examine where the parts of your life where you're saying, God, you're not enough. I'm going to the pixie stick. Examine it in the quietness of your heart. Listen, dig deep. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me. Reveal to me the ugliness so I can confess it to you. Why? Because He will forgive you. The second thing is to rejoice. Rejoice in this table. It points to a reality that God has taken care of your sins. That we will in Christ inherit the kingdom. We have. That He will empower us for the journey. So rejoice. And lastly, just receive. Receive. Receive again in spirit the body and blood of Christ Jesus. Receive it with thankful hearts. That He loves sexual, immoral, impure, covetous folks like us but gives us His Spirit to say we could rise above it. Be thankful. Be thankful. Let us pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts and as the elders come forward to prepare the table, God, I pray that we would be able to do just that. We would repent. Because God, the list that Paul describes includes me and includes my brothers and sisters in Christ. We fail to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And God, we don't have a self-sacrificing love. We have a self-seeking indulgence oftentimes. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, how utterly we are lost without Him. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His body and blood shed for us. His body who was broken. Blood that was shed so that we could be made whole. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for an eternal love. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Oh God, come and and remind us, give us a, a heart of thanksgiving and praise so that would trump our sinful and moral hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.